Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, welcome to Redemption's Table, and our special guest today is my good, good friend, Ken Lenore. Welcome, Ken. Well, thank you. Uh, glad you're with us today. Uh, just open up a little bit about how I know you. Like I say, we've been friends for about 40 years. Let me back up. We are sitting in Hickory Chip Barbecue Restaurant in the outskirts of Clanton, Alabama. This place has been here a while, and both of us had the barbecue. I had barbecue pork. Did you? I had barbecue pork. Yeah, and it's good as always. Always good. Uh, this place. Did it start out as a filling station? Because I noticed it has the filling station out there. I, I've always known it just as Hickory Chip Restaurant. I don't know. Okay. All right. You know. Well, a little bit of background about how we know each other, and I feel like I feel like we have had two friendships. So it's almost like you're two different friends. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we knew each other back in the late '70s, early '80s. I had come into Chilton County. You lived here, born and bred here. Uh, and our association, our friendship, uh, was more of an acquaintance. You know, I, I knew who you were. Uh, I don't know. You may not have thought. You may have thought of me different. I don't know. I just know, knew who you were, but never really got to know you. Left in 1984. Went away to Texas. Georgia, Texas again, and had been gone about 29 years, and came back, and um, all along, maybe the last 20 years or so, we would run into each other at where you work, you you're, you work at Barnes & Noble, right? and um, so I'm, you know, the, the friendship kind of continued a little bit, maybe deepened a little bit, but especially when I moved back to Alabama in 2013, and that's really when I felt like I was, you know, knew who you were, got to know you, got to appreciate you deeply. I, uh, I wrote this in my journal back on January 7th uh, during my quiet time with the Lord, and here's what I wrote. I said, Father God, forgive me for the lives I missed and the lives that missed mine. And what I meant by that is that there are people in our lives all the time, and sometimes, I think sometimes we miss people whom had we ever stopped engaged with them, gotten to know them a little bit, we would have been good, good friends. And I think that's true of us. That's my take on it. I don't know, you may have a different take. No. Uh, 40 years ago, I think our friendship would have been uh, deeper from the get-go, just because we have a commonality in a lot of the things we like. Uh, so welcome. Thank you for uh, sitting down and, and sharing this time. Uh, I'm going to start with, today I kind of want our focus to be around three, three <laughs> themes. Uh, the ultimate theme, of course, will be redemption, and we'll get toward the close of our conversation. We'll uh, 
focus more on that, but also uh, media. And you work at Barnes & Noble. Uh, I'm always seeing posts about film, music, uh, books and literature. And then that third, the third, we'll talk a little bit about friendship, but the power of story. Uh, so which are these three, music, film, literature, which one do you want to start with? Um, <clears throat> let's start with film. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Favorite redemptive movie scenes. What do you got? Okay, a scene. Scene or movie, maybe the film as a whole, or a, a um, line. Probably... Well, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about maybe four different movies that I consider real redemptive movies. But maybe my favorite movie scene is um, what I would consider the redemption of uh, Anakin Skywalker in uh, The Return of the Jedi. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever he uh, basically saves Luke's life and... Uh, Re, re, returns from the dark side okay. to being a loving father again, I guess. Okay. Um, that to me is one that came to mind. Um, I saw the film and I saw Ewoks, so it tells you where my mind no, was. No, but still, I'm, I'm, and then I'm thinking also uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And and you know, you think immediately Scout. You think immediately Atticus. Mm -hmm. But to me, I'm thinking Boo Radley. Boo Radley, you yeah. know, in that film as being uh, maybe a redemptive person or somebody that's been redeemed in that film. Because the whole time in the film or in the book, you're thinking, who is this creature? You know, and then you find this tender, silent protector basically, of these kids mm -hmm. uh, who really is, a, a, even though he maybe never wanders out of his house very mm -hmm. much, he's an important part of that community uh, and really becomes a very important part of those kids' lives because he saves their lives. Right. You know, um, that, uh, then I was thinking too, of course, of, uh, again, you could go movie or book, but... Um, a Christmas Carol and Scrooge. I mean, okay. you know, Ebenezer. Classic, yeah. Classic uh, redemptive story there, uh, very end. And then I guess probably uh, I was trying to decide here in this in this one who would be the one who was considered the most redemptive in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, love that film. Is it going to be George Bailey? Maybe, or is it going to be the angel Clarence? Uh, you know, who at the very end gets his wings. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, for me, it wouldn't be George Bailey because I identify with George Bailey. Okay. Uh, I have sat there in that that bar scene where his eyes welling up with tears and he's praying and asking God to to intervene, yeah. help me, Lord. It's the first prayer he utters so I've been yeah. at that point I've been at that point where it's like you walk into your life and you look around that look that covers his face when he realizes Bedford Falls is not where I left it mm -hmm. and this realization that he had had such an impact on that town so I've kind of had those moments so for, for me it would be George uh, but I do see the redemption in Clarence uh, yeah I mean Clarence was a 
fumbling, bumbling, <laughs> I guess, wannabe angel, yeah. you know, but you know, there he is in his own uh, fumbling, bumbling way, ends up saving George, you know. Might not be the way that Gabriel or Michael would have done it, but, no. <laughs> you know, his Clarence, you know, did it. Uh, so, I mean, those are four that I thought about, and, and, and because I know your love for Westerns, I was trying to come up with a Western, you know, that uh, had a redemption story, but I'm still working on that. I, you know, I thought about that. I was just thinking about redemptive scenes, and one Western did come to my mind, uh, The Searchers. Oh. John Wayne at yep. the very end when he brings Debbie home after he is contemplating killing her. Right. Uh, just the whole concept of him coming home because that place was home to him even though it was his brother's home. His brother and his wife who were both murdered by the Comanches, mm -hmm. uh, massacred by the Comanches. Um, but you also knew that he had a, a love for his brother's wife mm -hmm. never allowed that to go beyond where it was supposed to go. Uh, and, but when he returns home, returns their child home, and he's standing there in the doorway, mm -hmm. and there's the shot, John Ford, the tremendous director, and, and he captures John Wayne just taking, and it was a homage to the Western actor, early Western actor, Harry Carey, but he just takes one hand and just puts it over on his shoulder like that as if to say, I'm done. I fulfilled the mission on which I... And you see that silhouette. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's a great scene. And he turns and walks away. Yeah. Uh, I just think I, another one popped to mind. It wasn't a Western, though, but it was you know, somebody that was always in Westerns, but um, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, mm -hmm. I think. Um, probably, a, think about it, it's a great uh, film about redemption mm -hmm. there. And that final scene, whenever he's lays his arms open wide to, you know, it looks like he's being crucified and he's being shot full of holes to yeah. save those kids. Yeah. That, that he pretended the entire movie that he was indifferent toward, wish they weren't yeah. there, they were violating his space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was the Christ figure in, right. in that movie. Uh, and I've always seen that in films. Uh, mm -hmm. Just uh, can see redemption in a story that to most people would not appear to be redemptive. I've said for many years I've said if Jesus were alive today he would be filming movies he would be directing movies <laughs> instead of telling parables yeah. um, and uh, we could sit here and talk movies yeah we could talk movies for day. a long time probably <clears throat> long <clears throat> could keep listing films yeah. let me ask you this uh, about music <clears throat> uh, you sent me uh, some song lyrics or you introduced me to a song a few years ago called The Ballad of Mary Magdalene. Ah, yeah. And, uh, and you're always, you're posting about film, or excuse me, uh, music. I know you and I have an appreciation for the music of uh, <clears throat> Ken Miedema. Right. Um, some of your favorite songs you know, that maybe have the theme of redemption. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> the Ballad of Mary Magdalene is written by Richard Schindel. I first heard it on a, uh, an album by a group called Cry, Cry, Cry. And I think Lucy Kaplansky probably, or maybe Dar Williams on there sings it. Dar mm -hmm. Williams sings it. But yeah, um, that whole chorus of Jesus loves me, this I know. Why on earth did I ever let him go? Mm -hmm. He was always patient, always kind, but he walked off with his heart of mine. And I think uh, that's... I, 
some of my favorite songs. Um, I'm trying to think if any of them would have the theme of redemption. Sometimes I listen to songs and I try to, I don't look for maybe the redemption in them, but I look for, uh, is my story in this song mm -hmm. kind of thing. And uh, I just recently bought this um, CD by a guy who's a Facebook friend of mine, uh, Aiden Mursky. He's a songwriter in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, written very clever, clever, clever lyrics. Uh, he's written uh, the song titles, uh, songs for movie titles like uh, American Splendor mm -hmm. uh, or Happiness mm -hmm. uh, or um, one uh, called I Don't I Just Want to Be Your Steve McQueen for a movie called The Tower of Steve, I think. Hmm. But um, he's got this new album called If Not Now, Later. And one of his songs, it's a little power pop song, lasts about a minute and 50 something <coughs> seconds long. It's called, it's called Sweeping Up After the Elephants. <laughs> Not a pleasant job. <laughs> no, but, but the uh, whole song starts out like this. Uh, I ran away to join the circus so I could walk upon a wire or maybe ride a motorcycle through a raging ring of fire. I won't go into all the details, but things just didn't go my way, so I'm sweeping up after the elephants today. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm, been, I'm just sweeping up after the elephants kind of thing. Uh, you know, and, I'm, and it's good. I guess it's redemptive in a way because I realize, you know, this guy's written this song. Other people probably feel this way too, mm -hmm. that I'm just sweeping up after the elephants, yeah. you know. And um, so that, that's one of the newer songs that I've, I've just listened to and heard. I love uh, that. That's he wrote one uh, that's called Tithonus. Tithonus. Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tennyson poem, mm. Tithonus. Uh, I'm not. Well, <laughs> this man, mortal, falls in love with a goddess, which okay. is always trouble because she's immortal. And she ends up asking, uh, I mean, what would you like? I mean, what kind of wish can I grant you? And he ends up asking for immortality so that he can always live as long as she does to be with her. Mm -hmm. And so she grants him immortality. What he fails to ask for, though, is for her. No. No. What he fails to ask for is to also always be young as he is now. Oh. And so as the poem progresses, he keeps getting older and more decrepit looking and she retains her goddess beauty this mm -hmm. whole time. And so the difference is even more striking as they live longer and longer. And so he ends up asking, can't I just die, mm -hmm. you know, and get this pain over with? He thought it was going to be happy being mm -hmm. living forever. But no. And that's basically, he wrote this song mm -hmm. about that. And he says, you know, just let me die, kind of thing, and um, uh, I, it was it was really kind of cool because I'd forgotten when I heard this song several months ago that I had mentioned to him in a statement. You know, this really needs to be sung in classrooms that teach this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he remembered that for some reason. I don't know why he remembered it, but I, I've gotten off the topic there. That's okay. Redemption. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. But you know, your songs that are interest. It, that you're interested in, you know, and the yeah. lyrics, like you just said a few moments ago, I won't say it as eloquently as you did, but you're looking for songs you identify in your life, you know, or my life, my story fits that line. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, going back to the sweeping up after elephants, I thought, you know, if uh, somebody's got to do that, but without 
without a circus, you know, which is you know the sometimes the the brighter spots of life, the funner bad grammar, I know, uh, the funnest part of life, you know, those circus moments, those moments of, wow, this is wonderful, but yet there's always somebody there who's going to have to clean up after that, and, and yeah. probably I'm digressing now, I don't know. Let's, let's change the books, how about that? Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you three, or, or give you a simple question here, what three books have made the greatest impact in your journey? Because I know you're well read. Well, uh, I mean, I you can say that. I, I read a lot, but I tend to read a lot of the same thing all over and over again. Okay. Um, I would have to say, because I quote it so often, uh, Lord of the Rings, okay. the trilogy. Um, and uh, I'm always pulling something out of there that Sam Gamgee says in his wisdom or, mm -hmm. or, or something like that. Lord of the Rings. Um I would feel bad if I didn't choose a book by Charles Dickens. Okay. Uh, but I'm kind of torn between David Copperfield or Nicholas Nickleby because I love both of those stories so much. You know, Copperfield is uh, kind of autobiographical for Dickens, mm -hmm. and I can identify with a lot of that, but then I can also identify with a lot of, of Nickleby. I might lean a little bit more toward um, Nickleby. Okay. Uh, another book which some people feel is overrated, and I've been slow about getting around to reading it because it's been on our bestsellers for a long time in the bookstore, uh, but I just got around to reading it last year, was a book called All the Light We Cannot See. All the Light, light we, can we Cannot See. see. Uh, it's by Anthony Doerr. Okay. Um, it's about um, a young girl who is French, who's blind, and a young boy who is um, German, uh -huh. and his family, his sister, and uh, her family, her dad, her uncle. Uh, it's about a priceless diamond mm -hmm. that um, the Nazis are trying to recover, but it's set during World War II, and it, eventually their lives intersect, but I just thought, I liked it. Well, I liked the story, but I also liked it just because it was a beautifully written book. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, if this makes it to the podcast, get all the light you cannot see and okay. read it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, and uh, like I said, I was really, really, really late getting around to, to reading it. But uh, once I did, I was, I was happy I did. So I guess those three right now. Okay. I could come up with more of it. Yeah, if I, I kind of limited it, limited you to three. If you'd asked yeah. me what's your three favorite movies, I'd have been like, ooh, that's kind of yeah. really that's hemming me in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, you know, I see things. I read things, these little parts of other stories, songs. It's just like this fits. It's almost like these lines, music, film, these things find me. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure I find them, but they find me, and it just resonates something deep within me. Characters, just overall from those three categories, um, maybe some characters that you do identify with. In some way, with the sun and the movie Big Fish. Okay. Uh, simply because I think that. Uh, the character of the father is a lot like my dad himself with okay. his 
tales and his stories and everything. And I'm just kind of sitting back and listening a lot of times mm-hmm. to that. And, and, and having known your father, I know the, the legend of yeah, your father. Unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, then you realize, well, you know, there was maybe more truth to that than, than I ever thought there was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like that character. Um, uh, well, it'd be great to be able to say, you know, Superman, but no. <laughs> Not me. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to come up with, with three. Uh, I don't know. You don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be three, just, you know, characters. Uh, I was thinking about this this quote whenever you were talking about books a while ago, out of that book, All the Light We Cannot See, and, and you know, you'll pick out some obscure little thing that you remember, mm-hmm. and you say, well, yeah, I'm going to write that down, and luckily, you know, I, I've written it down. Um, uh, this um, lady, Madame Manic, who was oh. the um, maid housekeeper for... Um, this young girl's uncle, who they were living with, um, they were talking one day, um, and this is kind of a paraphrase of the conversation. If I don't, you don't mind me just kind go of right ahead. This. Do you think, madam, that in heaven we will really get to see God face to face? Now, Marie Lore, the young girl, is blind. Mm-hmm. She's been blind for a number of years now. It's a progressive kind of blindness. And Mar- Madam Manic says, We might. And she says, what if you're blind? And she says, I'd expect that if God wants you to see something, we'll see it. Mm-hmm. And then they went on in the conversation, and it says, Uncle Etienne says heaven is like a blanket babies cling to. He says people have flown airplanes 10 kilometers above the earth and found no kingdoms there, hmm. no gates, no angels. And she says to Madame Manic, don't you ever get tired of believing, Madame don't you ever want proof? Mm-hmm. And Madame Manic says, you must never stop believing. That's the most important thing. And as a minister, as somebody who works with people all the time, who maybe are not, and who believers, and as you teach Sunday school to young people and everything, I kind of feel like that sometimes, that if I could convey just to them that believing is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to do, though, um, sometimes, because most people do want proof. Yeah. yeah. But it's a starting point yeah. for everything else. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. You know, everybody loves a redemption story. I do, whether I'm watching it or reading it or listening to it. And so, what is your redemption story? What is the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Uh, what is the, uh, what are the things He's brought you from? Just share a little bit about your journey, Ken. Uh, well, on, um, you know, on on your on the, for those who have Facebook, uh, if you're on Facebook, you know, you have a spot there for your bio, right? And I had not had anything in that bio for a long time. And, and then I came across this quote. And I, I think I picked it up in a book by Rich Wilkerson, uh, a book that I had bought and read. And I, but I can't remember if that's right or not. But I've seen the quote in other places too. 
But I guess in a nutshell, um, uh, you could say, and I've said this, uh, that in a nutshell, you could describe my life is this phrase. I am a recovering hypocrite. Okay. You know, um, I know that um, that people who have gone through the the Alcoholics Anonymous program and that kind of thing, they never say, even after they've been off alcohol for five weeks or five decades, mm -hmm. that I'm a former alcoholic. Mm -hmm. It's always I'm a recovering alcoholic, and with me, I. I just feel like that fits, sort of, uh, you know, as Paul said, and and I think he said it not before he ever was saved, but mm -hmm. after he was saved. I don't do the things I want to do, mm -hmm. but I do the things I don't want to do. I all of that, mm -hmm. same way with me, and I just consider that, you know, I am. I'm a recovering hypocrite, or I can go one step further and maybe. Uh, use the line out of um, Brendan Manning's book, um, The Ragamuffin Gospel, uh, I am an earthen vessel who shuffles along on feet of clay. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, I think that they put it better than I can put it in my own words about that's where I am right now. I know that, uh, I know that I think C.S. Lewis put it one time, um, it's a kind of an irony or a paradox uh, I guess that's the word. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll probably have that written down somewhere in, in my notes. But um, it's an irony that um, man is closest to God when he realizes he's least like him. Hmm. And every day I live now, I realize how unlike God I am. Mm -hmm. You know, but hopefully that's bringing me closer to Him because of that realization um, and that kind of is my um, my story I guess okay. in a way um, well in that thought you're, you're breaking the idea that uh, you know God created us in his image and I've heard this said so many times and we've returned to favor by creating God in our image and so when you realize how unlike God you are we are breaking that which is so common among people to create God in our own image God who you know, a lot, in a lot of people we just you know we think oh he's so much like us uh, going back to a song years ago Kenny Rogers recorded a song called The Crucifixion hmm. and he was talking about Jesus he's, on the night before he died and he said he, he describes him this way in the song he says he was a little weird and we all feared he wasn't one of us he didn't drink he didn't smoke he didn't even cuss you'd see him around and you'd see him now and then with a group of men hanging around the sea and I think I would have liked him more if he'd have been a little more like me hmm. Uh, but yet at the same time, you know, we don't, we don't need to personify God like us. That's, uh, you know, we get into trouble. We limit God when we do that. So I like the way you put that. You know, um, I don't know if this is going to tie in with anything we're talking about or not, but we were talking about books. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I was reading this just recently. Um, but we think about... Um, Shakespeare and Hamlet mm -hmm. and the question was that I read was how much will Hamlet know about Shakespeare mm -hmm. only what Shakespeare writes about himself into that play mm -hmm. is what Hamlet's going to know about him 
And in the same way, we're only going to know about God if God has written something about himself into our own lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever read anything by this author, Dorothy Sayers. I just read a devotion by her yesterday morning. Good okay. author, and I want to read more. Well, anyway, she was a friend of C.S. Lewis. Okay. And she was one of the first ladies that ever went to Oxford. Mm -hmm. And she wrote detective novels or detective fiction. Okay. And one of her, her main character, uh, she wrote a series of books called The Lord Peter Whimsey uh, Mysteries. Mm -hmm. And I think that PBS has probably um, done versions of those that they've put on film and mm -hmm. as a series on PBS. But in this series, uh, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey is uh, an aristocratic single um, detective. And um, in the middle of the series, in the middle of that series, Dorothy Sayers introduces a tall, not really attractive woman by the name of Harriet Vane in that series. Harriet Vane just happens to be one of the first women that ever went to Oxford. Hmm. And Harriet Vane also, in this series, writes detective fiction. Okay. okay. And she meets Peter, and they fall in love, and they get married, and they solve mysteries together. And what's unusual, or what maybe isn't unusual about that, is that the people speculate that Dorothy Sayers looked into the life of this person that she had created, into this world that she had created, and she saw Peter Whimsey as being alone and, I guess, maybe in times in pain and in need mm -hmm. of somebody. And so she fell in love with her character and wrote herself into that story. Mm -hmm. And hadn't God done the same thing with us? Yeah. I mean, he's written himself into our story. Yeah. With Jesus to redeem us, I yeah. mean that's a yeah. You need to read the Peter Whimsey mysteries. Yeah. I think I'm sure she has some nonfiction work because that's what I was reading. Some okay. nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. you're a good author. But yeah, I think that her her father was uh, a minister, and, and she did a lot of her work is is um, whimsical, funny mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. but but she also was a devout yeah. person as well. So you're coming. Uh, hypocrite. I am. And what you just said is Jesus, you know, it is, isn't it what God did for us by writing Jesus into our story or bringing Jesus into our story? Mm -hmm. How specifically <laughs> has Jesus entered into Kenny Lenore's story? Uh, specifically, mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, I was a youth minister and a pastor in the late 70s and early 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, committed to do all of that. And then took a different path, took a different route. Um, my marriage um, of 19 years um, ended, and at that time I uh, uh, really went a different route mm -hmm. after that, and um, for several years. How he has entered my story is within the last three years, and I never thought this would ever ever happen again mm -hmm. was that I was approached by uh, a person at this young, uh, small Baptist church, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church here in Clanton, 
to uh, come and uh, speak and, and preach and fill in for them because their pastor uh, had resigned. And uh, after doing that for a couple of Sundays, the church, uh, they decided, you know what, we want you as our pastor. And I thought, let me think about that. <laughs> and uh, uh, I thought about it, and the next week, uh, one of the deacons, a close friend, Ivan Smith, came up to me, and he says, they really, really want you. And I said, let me talk to my boss at the bookstore, because I had to work on Sundays right. a lot of times. My boss, Amanda Craig, is just wonderful. She says, I'll clear your schedule that morning. No problem. You know, because we didn't have church that evening. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'll clear your Sunday schedule for you. And I said, okay. And so I've been their pastor ever since then. And um, I don't know how good I've been for them. I know that I haven't been as good for them as they have been for me. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where I am now. Uh, just trying to, uh, I guess, do his work there. Mm -hmm. you know. But that's where I am now. Well, I know why they called you. Uh, I, uh, I say that. I, and I've told you this before, and I mean this. You know, on a, a Sunday that I would not have an opportunity to fill the pulpit somewhere, and I do fill the pulpit every Sunday. It's just not in a normal capacity, and we won't even go to that story. I'm, I'm a permanent pulpit supply. Um, but when I do have those rare occasions where I would not be somewhere, if I had to choose uh, where to go to worship, uh, I would pick Mount Pleasant, where you are. I've come back when I had that opportunity open. I came a couple of times. I enjoy uh, hearing God speak through you uh, because you're real. Uh, you're, you have an authentic voice as far as you're true to who God created you, but you're also uh, the gospel, I believe, Kenny, is running through your life so that that it, it doesn't change the flavor of what is being shared and spoken but it but it, it comes through that uh, I don't even want to say filter because gospel does not need a filter but it's just very obvious there's an authenticity about the way you speak you, you incorporate things that you see in everyday life through film or music you, you weave all those into a message it's always you thought pro provoking and always makes a person think long after the benediction is said uh, where you know God you give your congregation plenty to chew on meditate on uh, from God's word and as you speak you know, I I mean that well I appreciate that I'm glad to, to hear that from you and and I hope that basically the main topic of conversation isn't he went five minutes over today. No, 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 no. never <laughs> is. Know. But um, no, that's um, that's good to, to know. I think yeah. that, um, uh, like I said, they've been they've been far better for me than I probably have for them. But I, it's been it's been a, a road that has um, made me read and study more, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's been it has been, I guess. Uh, redeeming factor mm -hmm. in, in my life. I, I've been pleased with being able to do that 
for them. Yeah. Yeah. We're sitting in a restaurant. Yeah. Did I interrupt you? No, I was, I'll, I'll get something in a minute. What? Okay, we're sitting in a restaurant. We're at Redemption's table, or we're on Redemption's table. We're, we just enjoyed good barbecue. Mm -hmm. And I ask this question uh, often. What, what is it that feeds your heart? What, is, what are the things that God uses to feed your heart, feed your soul? Um, what is that? I think just the promise that his word, as, as you all mentioned a while ago, does not return void. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, we can feel like, and, and, and you know, um, we may be, I do, I, I mean, I preach to 25 people maybe mm -hmm. on a Sunday. A lot of people preach to eight, ten people, maybe less on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, I cling to the promise that um, anytime, anytime the word is spoken, mm -hmm. anytime God's word is shared, something happens. Right. Something happens. You know. Uh, I don't know, I came across this years ago, probably in the late 70s, in a sermon that I read one time. But um, he, um, this guy was preaching, and, and he was preaching in Corinthians where he was talking about the preaching of the cross to those who don't believe is foolishness mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And, um, and he likened... Uh, he likened it to being clowns, people, ministers, uh, anybody that serves in a church or God or in some way, mm -hmm. whether, like I said, is at, at, at Brother Brian Mission or, or where it might be, or at, at a, you know Grace's Kitchen or wherever mm -hmm. it might be, that any time that it's shared, something happens. Mm -hmm. And he goes with the whole premise of people being clowns consider yourself if you consider yourself I mean you think that the whole story of the Bible is loaded with stories of people that you know you look at them you know and Noah building a ship out in the middle of the <laughs> desert what a clown you know yeah. or uh, I mean you know maybe uh, Daniel you know a clown or maybe even if you don't think it sounds sacrilegious to say you know the greatest clown of all hanging up on the cross mm -hmm. and others going he saved others, but you can't save yourself. Right. You know? And uh, he went on to say this. He said he grew up in Texas. Mm -hmm. And he went to a lot of rodeos. Mm -hmm. And um, what's the most favorite thing about a rodeo? <laughs> you know, was always the bull riding. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to a rodeo myself. I've seen them on TV. I've been to several. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've seen them on TV, and I've seen them used to show them on Wide World of Sports mm -hmm. years ago, and it would always feature the bull riding. Mm -hmm. And along with the bull riding, there always came the clowns mm -hmm. out there jumping around and crawling into barrels and falling over their big floppy feet and everything like that. And you think to yourself, you know, what's the purpose? You know, you know, they're just you know, useless basically until until 
a rider falls off that bull. Mm -hmm. And then they become serious. Invaluable. And they're out there for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're out there to save that rider's life, basically, to keep him from further harm. And every time I get to thinking about, this really looks foolish, what I'm trying to do. Then I think about, yeah, it's really not. It's, I may look like a clown to some people, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, clowns have a purpose. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So maybe that's where I am now. I'm a clown. Okay. <laughs> I'm a clown with you. Okay. My favorite Rich Mullins line for one of his, for yeah. a song, uh, uh, a man of no reputation, talking about Jesus. Yeah. I'm a man of no reputation by the wise considered a fool. And uh, <clears throat> I'm good with that. I'm down with that. Yeah, uh, me too. Because I identify with that. Mm -hmm. You have, uh, and yeah. I don't want to miss this uh, bringing it up, you have this brass, uh, I don't even know what this is. I ask every guest to bring a symbol of personal redemption, something that means redemption to them, and this has already caught the eye of several of the waitresses who thought it fell from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, in, in one way it could be a little miniature spittoon, and another way it could be an urn to carry somebody's ashes, but it's empty. What is this? Tell us what this that is. is. We'll take a picture um, of it. This is um, a, cap, a brass cap off of um, a bedpost. Okay. An iron bed uh, frame. Um, this iron bed um, belonged to my great aunt Lena, um, who was 98 years old when she passed away uh, March the 15th, 1985. Wow. And uh, it had sat in the house and she had slept in it for years and years and years. And I really don't know how old the bed is or this is. I know that whenever she slept on it, it used to have a feather mattress and everything. Well, okay. in 2000, whenever I was in need of uh, a bed, I asked my dad and my brother and my sister if it would be okay if I had this mm -hmm. bed. It's a full size. And they said, yeah. Well, um, the bed was, paint was peeling, it was rusting, and these uh, shiny brass caps um, were basically brown from all of the years of people putting their hands on them and dirt and everything accumulating on them. And um, so whenever I got the bed, I thought, well, you know, I, I need to get this thing redone. Mm -hmm. And so I took one of these caps to a place in Vestavia Hills. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly where it is now, but it was in a little mall area there in Vestavia Hills. And uh, I took it in there because I'd heard that they did some polishing and refinishing, and I just wanted to so, see what it was because I had no idea it was this. Wow. And I took it in one day on the way to work, and then on the way back from work, I went by, and they had polished it off, and it was this. Wow. Shiny, shiny brass. And I took them, the other three, and then I took the iron bed to a place close to uh, Airport Boulevard, and they sandblasted all of the rust and bad stuff off of the iron bed mm -hmm. after they had done that and, and coated it with a primer coat I took it to uh, a man here in Clanton Bobby Lane who does a lot of restoration and he repainted it okay. and now I have a beautiful beautiful restored redeemed <laughs> <laughs> bed uh, that uh, all of the dirt 
and all of the years of, of dirt and, and use and everything have been taken away. Wow. And uh, I have a nice, beautiful bed now. Uh, but yeah, it's special to me, uh, not because of that symbolism, but it's special to me because it was my great aunt Lena's. <laughs> I was going to say my great aunt Lena was the epitome of unconditional love, mm -hmm. but that would be untrue for me because really when you say unconditional love, that means that somebody loves you even with your faults, right? Mm -hmm. My great aunt Lena never thought I had a fault. <laughs> I couldn't do anything wrong. Okay. So it really wasn't unconditional love. She, she saw just you with gray eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But then that's why this is special to her. Love eyes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. You surrendered one part of the bed just to find out what it was or what it would become. And you surrendered one part. Mm -hmm. and that, that right there. And that's where it started. And now you got a whole complete yeah. bed. Yeah. Surrendering one part of our life. Uh, and letting him do what he does beautifully, let Jesus do what he does can can lead to beautiful, beautiful things in our lives. Thanks for meeting with us. We may have to have a round two sometime because I'm sure there's a lot of things we could have talked about, film, music, Jesus. Uh, our conversations are always enjoyable when it's just you and I and, and no one is listening with the podcast. Um, my takeaway, mm -hmm. you may have a different one, but my takeaway from our time together is that... Uh, you know, life at times can seem like a circus. Life at times can seem like a rodeo. And if we're going to be true to our calling, uh, true to the one who has redeemed us, then we can either sweep up after elephants or we can uh, be clowns. Uh, but we need to be prepared to go wherever he wants us to go and do whatever he's asking us to do. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to tie things in a, a little okay. tiny package. Tiny package. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those of you who are listening, thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to having you right back here next Monday morning uh, as a Table of Redemption. Your party is now ready, and we'll see you then. Thanks.